Welcome to the Blister Podcast, a program dedicated to interesting people, the great outdoors, and a bunch of other stuff we like. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check us out online at blisterreview.com. Today on the podcast, we try to wrap our heads around Alex Honnold's successful free solo this past Saturday morning of the free rider route on Yosemite's El Capitan. I'm joined by our climbing editor, Dave Alley, to talk about the feat and to try to put it into perspective and historical context. And just in case you aren't clear about the magnitude of Honnold's achievement, we are going to raise the question of whether Alex's free solo of El Cap is the greatest athletic achievement ever. Because that is legitimately in play, and if you are skeptical of that, you should definitely listen to this conversation. Dave also breaks down for us some of the more specific details of Alex's route on the wall that you may not be familiar with, and then he and I dissect this accomplishment, try to locate it in the history of climbing, and contextualize it within the broader world of athletic achievements. Like many others out there, Dave and I are still attempting to wrap our minds around this climb, and that is one of the clear signals why this is such a monumental feat. We know it happened, and it's still really difficult to believe. Also, in the show notes to this podcast episode on the website, we've included links to an interview that Honold gave shortly after his climb. There is also an incredible piece by Honold's good friend and frequent climbing partner, Tommy Caldwell, about Honold's attempt. We also have a brief video of Alex on the wall, and there is a link to a phenomenal photo gallery that was shot from the El Cap Meadow. All of these pieces are not to be missed, so be sure to check out the episode show notes on the site. And on that note, let's get back to my conversation with Dave Alley about Honold's climb. We recording? We are. Um, cool. <clears throat> your first, yeah, your first time on the podcast. That's right. <laughs> how yeah. how on earth has it taken us this long? <laughs> it took uh, it it took Alex Honnold doing the impossible to yeah, to get you on this podcast. You should have contacted my agent ages ago. Man. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm a busy guy. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Um, okay, well let's uh, let's do this. Let's let's go to a, a little bit of a backstory. It was <clears throat> this past Saturday, and I believe I was had just finished or was still reviewing skis uh, up in Colorado when I get a text message from you uh, saying, let's see, and I quote, Honold soloed Freerider this morning, becoming the first person to solo an L cap route. Mind fully blown. Yeah, and that about does it. That about does it. And and that is exactly what happened. I, I think you sent the text early, but I didn't get it till I actually got off the mountain. And I was, because I, I was driving and I almost drove the car off the road. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it says, it says like more than the actual, anything that you could say in a text. The fact that I felt compelled to text about climbing basically <laughs> tells you all you need to know. Yeah. I mean, people climb things and the world doesn't care, you know, like I don't need to text my non-climbing friends about it yeah. usually. Yeah. Uh, no. Um, so that, that is the, that is the backstory here. And then you and I have been kind of going back and forth a bit. And finally I was just like, I mean, I haven't really stopped thinking about it, um, since I got the news. And so, um, here we are and we just wanted today to kind of 
like go over and try to process this thing that actually kind of is rather mind blowing. Um, yeah. So let's There's let's so much get to unpack. That's the thing. Yeah, exactly. You know, I've I've spent so much time over the last few days thinking about it, and you know, there's just so many angles and so many things that make this unique and. It's so easy oftentimes to understand things, you know, by way of some comparison to other things. But this yeah. is like just very slippery in yeah. that regard. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, Dave, what I mean, let's just real simply, what did Alex Honnold just do on Saturday? Yeah. So that's that's a super good question. He um, the short is that he free soloed a route on El Cap called Freerider. And, um, essentially what that means is he climbed the rope with just shoes in a chalk bag, you know, or I'm sorry, route rather with just shoes in a chalk bag, um, no rope, no harness, uh, and stuff like that. And this, this really gets garbled sometimes in, uh, in non-climbing media because free climbing is what most climbers do when you are using a rope, right. And you're just kind of ascending the rock using your hands and feet, but the rope is there, uh, to catch you in case you fall. And so that's a little bit of a, uh, you know, a tragic, <laughs> tragic name for that because it's, I think in the, in the modern world, we think of free climbing at most people hear free climbing and they think free soloing, yeah. which is what, what Alex Honnold did. Um, in reality, free, I think free climbing came about initially because most climbing was done as aid climbing. And then, you know, free climbing is sort of a, you know, more, um, more recent arrival on the scene, but wait, wait, S say just a quick word. It really is a stupid name. We really need to ditch free climbing. I know. <laughs> so essentially like aid climbing. Yeah. Aid talk climbing about, talk about, yeah, that's what I want you. So I think we're clear, right? I mean, free soloing is no ropes. You just, your, your shoes in a, in a bag of chalk. Free right. climbing is what we would call sport climbing or rope yeah. climbing now. So aid climbing, I think aid that's one that, is, essentially where you are, um, you're using the, the rope systems directly to ascend the route. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times, um, and this is how most parties climb big walls like El Cap it's at one point or another, if not for most of the route, you'll clip a, you know, a ladder, a, you know, some sort of fabric ladder into a piece of gear or a bolt or what have you, and then stand in the ladder climb the ladder and so forth. And so you're ascending the equipment right up the wall rather than uh, using your hands and your feet to ascend the wall itself, which is sort of how most people know climbing, right? That's how you do it in the gym. And, um, and in that, in that scenario, the rope is still there, but it's really only there as, as your backup plan. You know, if you fall, the rope will catch you, but you're not pulling on the rope. You're not, ideally, you're not like pulling on the draws and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, at least that's not your like express strategy when you leave the ground, right. you know, like I'm going to get on this super hard sport route and just pull on the draws all the way that, to the top. That's actually what I call climbing. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what <laughs> yeah, I do. Exactly. Yeah. That's well, that's my what, that, the rest of us non-pros pretty much do that right. all the time, but. Right. I just um, call it Ellsworthing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Let's hashtag that and get it going. <laughs> exactly. Um, I think, uh, so essentially, you know, the, the free, this all started, this confusion, the free climbing quote unquote revolution was, um, you know, something that happened in Yosemite and elsewhere, you know, many, many decades ago, probably the seventies 
and the 80s. And that was meant to be that you, you know, they had shown up with enough skill and athleticism and so forth to climb, to like actually climb the routes uh, themselves and not just hammering pitons all the way up this crack. Yeah. And so that I think was, um, you know, they talked about that as like freeing the route from, yeah. you know, direct, from the use of direct aid. And so back in the day, there was really just aid climbing. And then there's this like newfangled thing called free climbing. Like, you know, there's not really much opportunity for confusion there. Um, the problem is that when people start doing this stuff alone, you can climb big walls with ropes by yourself. And that's called rope soloing. You're there with a rope, you're doing it alone. And then the sort of most extreme version of this is free solo climbing, where you are free climbing the route, which is to say climbing the route itself, not using the gear to ascend, but you're also doing it alone. So you're doing it without the backup protection. So free solo climbing is, is really, um, you know, it's very, very different than all the, essentially everything else that we talked about. Um, so, you know, free solo climbing, Alex Honnold did not invent this, you know, this has been going on for ages and ages and they're super high profile free solo climbers in Yosemite for decades, like John Backer and Peter Croft and, um, most recently, people like Dean Potter, and a lot of really, really hard, super impressive routes have been free soloed. And you know, if you want to view it through that lens, you could totally make the case that this is um, this sort of this obvious progression, and blah 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 blah. But it's really, you know, because of the danger involved, I think it's hard for people to see uh, that linearity as it is with like many other sports, you know, um, like with, uh, running the fastest mile and so forth. It's just, that seems to me like, uh, or actually, you know, here's a better example. You know how, um, Nike and a bunch of other companies are in this big push to, um, like break the two hour marathon. Yeah. So that they're pouring like all the research and the money and stuff into that. And honestly, that feels a little bit to me like, you're just going to play a waiting game until a person with the right physiology comes along who's been able to work with a trainer since birth, you know? And, uh, and that, but there's not necessarily like hugely more to it than that. You know, you have a motivated individual with the requisite support and, you know, the backing of modern science, and then eventually you will get there. Uh, presumably, maybe not, maybe we realize there's some hard physiological stop at two minutes or two hours and one minute or whatever, but, um, You know, I don't, I don't know, but with the, the certainty of death that comes along with free yeah. soloing, I feel like it's hard to, it's hard to really make the comparison, um, because the impressiveness with free solo climbing rests oftentimes like not on the, the route itself or the technical difficulty of the route itself. It's like the statement of mastery that's being made. Yep. And, and that's, that's very different, I think, than just saying like, okay, once you hit this dead flat sprint, how fast are you going or how long can you sustain it or, or what have you, you know, those are like, those are very much not, um, I I don't want to say that they're not psychologically challenging, but it's, it's not fair to compare the two psychological challenges. Yeah. Well, Um, I mean, I want to, let's, let's kind of bracket that. Like I want to get to that. I want to get to that a bit later. I mean, that's, that's kind of. I mean, a huge component of what I want to talk about, right? But yeah, totally. but I, I want to stick on the kind of particulars of like this, like what did Alex just do? Sure. Okay. El Cap is known for being, um, you know, home to one of the largest concentrations of, of these like massive big walls, like what are called like grade 
grade five, grade six routes, right? Which is a sort of a uh, determination of the amount of time it takes average competent parties to climb the route. Um, and I mean, just for the record, I would say that, you know, the average team that climbs the free rider or the South A wall, which shares a lot of terrain with free rider mm-hmm. is probably like three days for free rider and four for the South A average and, climbing uh, group will do, will take three days to, to climb the, this route, the yes. free rider. Route. Okay. Yeah. Um, to be honest, most people, I guess people do do a free rider frequently, but, um, you know, and some of that gets into the whole speed thing that you were talking about a minute ago. So, you know, we'll put a pin in that and come yeah. back, but, um, you know, these routes are massive, right? This is a, I think this is a probably 3,300 or so foot route. Um, it involves a huge amount of down climbing, hmm. uh, low on the route, which is, you know, obviously its own challenge and so forth. But, um, there, this is the first time that a quote unquote L cap route has been, uh, freak free soloed. And the reason I, um, make that distinction is there is a, a route called the West face of L cap, which is significantly shorter than this. It's just sort of like, if you follow the West face of L cap, like around lookers left, mm-hmm. then you kind of walk up the hill. The routes get a little bit shorter as you're able to ascend the hillside before starting the climb. And there's this long multi-pitch, you know, in the teens of pitches, I would say maybe like 15 to 18 pitches, depending on how you do it. Um, 11 C free route that's it's called the West face. And, um, I think he free soloed that kind of a while ago, but that's, you know, that's a very different, uh, experience, even though it's on the same fork feature. Right. Mm-hmm. And so this is the first time that one of the like capital B big walls has been free soloed on El cap. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, prior to this, he had done, uh, repeated a bunch of the famous free solos in the Valley that had been done by people like Peter Croft or Dean Potter, like Astro man, the rostrum. Um, and then most famously he free soloed half dome via the regular Northwest face, which I think you know, he had been maybe uh, prominent on the climbing scene from earlier free solos, but that was the first time that I think he became like a national uh, figure and, yeah. you know, was on like 60 minutes and all that stuff just because that was, you know, not that was half dome, right? It wasn't some obscure desert route that climbers geek out over, but nobody else knows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, this is uh, I mean, it's it's outrageous in part because of its scale and its difficulty um, and all the challenges that come with those things. But uh, it's just so, you know, it follows in the tradition of all of the other times in climbing history where something like this has been done, where there's been a robust debate about like, is this a humanly possible thing? Right. Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. And then somebody just goes and does it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I think that's why it's so, uh, so mind blowing. Um, I think another, like to put it in like really, really simple terms, like this route if you just had a picture of El Cap and you told someone, draw a line from the highest point of El Capitan down to the ground, mm-hmm. I mean, that's free rider. I mean, it's right. not a, it's not a straight line, right? But like, not. there's it's not huge. like, it's not, it's, it's not one like of the longest he, routes in the valley. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't, I don't know, like literally, I mean, if it's not the exact summit point of El Cap, I mean, like it is, it is right there at like, the highest point on that on that wall absolutely um, which like if i was gonna if i had to free solo el cap i'd be like <laughs> like <laughs> what's how do i cheat this over to uh yeah. i mean i'd be well, dead i'd be dead 80 yes. feet off the ground so it wouldn't really matter but right uh 
Yeah, I, it's just like, I, I mean, it, there really just is. Like, talk about an exclamation point. I mean, it's... No, it's true. It's, <laughs> it's totally true. And, you know, that not to, a ton of route is, a ton of terrain, rather, is added to the route by the fact that you have to do all mm. of this down climbing. So, Freerider, um, historically, is a fairly recent route, okay? So, the FA was done in, I think, like, 1995 um, by one of the Huber brothers, Alex Huber, who was like a, you know... He and his brother, Tomas Huber, these two European guys were big, uh, you know, climbers in the European scene, mostly sport climbers, came to the valley, took up crack climbing and, you know, made a big impact on, you know, American climbing in Yosemite and so forth. And so Freerider was established as a free climbing variation to the Salafay Wall, which is like uh, the second route put up on El Cap by Roy Robbins way back in the day. And... Um, the South Bay for itself is a super classic aid wall. It's amazing. The, that direct wall goes free at like mid 513 and is supposed to be super classic as a free route. Free rider takes that ascent, that general template and does a bunch of variations to avoid some of the harder, um, free climbing that's on the South Bay wall, if that makes sense. But for yeah. the most part, those walls, those routes follow a similar trajectory. And, um, the both of them start out with the first ten pitches are are usually often done just by themselves as a route called free blast, and so you climb these first ten pitches and you get up to this big big um, you know I guess like standing buttress pillar thing called mammoth terraces. From there, you have to do this massive rappel down to heart ledges, and so you you have to lose like 190 200 feet to get down to heart ledges, which for Honold is like a 10 D down climb. You know, yeah. you're not just repelling that. And then yeah. later in the route, there's a, another pitch called the hollow flake where most climbers do this, what's called a pendulum where you lower down on your rope for however many feet and you start running back and forth across the wall until you can swing all the way over to the left side and get yourself stuck into this little flake thing. It's big off. But that's, you know, because he doesn't have a rope, can't rappel down and do this pendulum. That's an 11 D down climb, you know? And, uh, and that's all terrain that you have to make back up, right? Cause you just climbed all the way up to get there and then you're climbing 200 feet back down and so forth. And so it's not, it's not even like, like if you were to just do that whole straight line thing that you were just talking about, like even that would be shorter, you know, because the, the route goes up, down, up, down, up, down. Yeah. And, um, and that's just incredible. Um, and as impressive as that is, I think that 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 does get at something kind of interesting, which is that like free solo climbing is uh, like it's hard to answer what is like what makes a route an impressive free solo, right? Is it the grade or is it mm-hmm. the grade and a whole bunch of other things? Is it the length of the route? Um, you know, there are certainly routes that are uh, maybe like have harder cruxes, but are easier or more appealing free solo candidates, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, I mean, free rider is a perfect example. So the crux pitch comes like 22, 23 pitches up and the traditional route free rider goes at 12 D and this crux 12 D pitch is called the Teflon corner where there's really no holds and you're doing this like 90 degree stemming, right? And it's supposed to be just absurdly insecure and the granite's really slick. And a lot of climbers have said that, you know, you, you work it and you work it, but you can still like grease a foot off at any moment. 
like yeah. unexpectedly, right? <clears throat> and so most people who aspire to climb the route, and this is exactly what Alex Honnold did, do a variation to get around that pitch called the boulder problem. And that's a, that the variation goes at 513A, which is by the numbers harder than the stemming corner. Yeah. But it's this 513A, it's like this V7 boulder problem, which is hard as fuck, obviously. Yeah. But it's more, like climbers would you would say that that's more secure, if that yep. makes sense. Like the holds are ultra tiny, but if you if you're super strong and you grab them right, you know you have them right, and yeah. and so you know you're you're good. Whereas um, a lot of times, if you're if you're just doing this like super desperate friction climbing, it's harder to really know what you're on. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. Anyway. That's like, I think that's one of those things that makes it hard to unravel these things or, or even compare them to other routes or, or other solos because there's so much that goes into making a, a route like a, an easy or difficult free solo where, you know, it's easier to just talk about, hey, how hard is this route compared right. to like how hard is that route? Like, yep. That's a little bit more of an approachable um, conversation. Can you imagine doing a V7 boulder problem? <clears throat> I, I mean, where yeah. are you? How, where are you on the wall? Oh, um, I point? think you're probably 23 pitches up. Oh my god! So yeah, I mean it's oh, basically it's... like it's basically like bolting climbing holds on an airplane. Yes. <laughs> then... Oh my god! Totally. <laughs> yeah, it's horrific. It's like I can't even imagine. I mean, I don't even think that I would be psychologically fit to be a cameraman for an event like this. Yeah. I can't even imagine like trying. I don't even like. I hate free soloing, like even easy stuff. You yeah. Know? Um, I cannot imagine climbing a V seven with any consequence ever. Yeah. That's oh my god! It's just unbelievable. <laughs> um. Yeah. So <laughs> that that was actually a really that was a really helpful description. Um, talking about you know avoiding the stemming section. Um. Instead, right. opting for a V seven, twenty three yes. pitches. Insecure V seven boulder problem. Yeah, the yeah. you know the down climb down climbing a ten D. Yeah, and then an eleven D. You know, oh my God. I mean, no thank you. <clears throat> no thanks. Um, yep, exactly. I think we got to talk about the speed component of this, sure. which which like is like this afterthought. I mean, yeah. you know, granted, this just happened Saturday. And I think we're going, people are like us, I think are just trying to process this and locate it within the history of climbing. And frankly, we, what we're going to talk about is with the, in the history of like athletic achievements and like broadly written outside mm. of climbing, far outside mm -hmm. of climbing. Mm -hmm. But the speed component of this, I mean, you just said that a typical, an average group might ascend free rider a group might ascend free rider with ropes in three days, I believe you said. Mm, yeah. Yep. And he did it in three hours and 56 minutes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I was, I did, a buddy of mine and I um, climbed up cap in the fall and it took us three days. Um, and, you know, it's not like, <laughs> it's not like I spent two days and, 20 hours just like sitting around, you know, and then at, like the end we were like, all right, let's roll. <laughs> it's time, time to get to the top. Yeah. We got to stop watching YouTube videos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I think I'm really glad you brought that up actually. And I think that's an interesting point. Um, part of it, I, this is going to be odd, but I don't, that's one of the, 
less impressive aspects as a standalone point only because the reason he's so fast is because he's soloing. It's yeah. not independent of his solo. Like yeah. he's also doing it quickly. So when you don't stop to belay, that frees up so much of your time. Yeah. So, you know, if we, let's say when he and Tommy Caldwell race up, they did this route last week, I think in, in one of his like prep sessions and they, they did it in like five hours or something, which is insane. Okay. Five hours. And, um, and that is blisteringly fast for a rope team. You know, they probably simul climbed huge amounts of the route and all that kind of stuff. But let's say just for the, you know, to, to bring this down to like a, you know, a simplistic level, let's say you're doing a multi standard multi-pitch route the way that most climbers experience climbing where one person climbs, the leader goes up, belays the second up, and then they continue on in that fashion up the wall. So each climber if you forget, let's say they have this very fast change over the blaze and all that stuff, each climber is only really climbing for half the time, right? And so let's say hypothetically you're to go back and free solo that route without a partner. Well, then you're probably, without changing anything, you're probably going to do it in half the time or less that it took you to. Yeah. And so you would expect him to set a, a speed record anytime he free solos a hard route like this just because he never stops. It's not... Yeah. It's not that he's necessarily uh, moving quickly at any point. Like, <laughs> certainly speed free soloing seems like down on one knee begging for death, yeah. right? Like, that is just, uh, that is sprinkling the element of competition in the wrong place for sure. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I think I think that's really what it is. I think that's, that's a feature that's inherent to the free solo style of climbing. Um, like he, a couple of years ago, I think he, he did, uh, he climbed Mount Watkins, El Cap and Half Dome in a day, um, with, I think he did it, he did all of them alone. He brought a rope and rope soloed the harder sections and then would put the rope away and free solo the easier terrain. Mm -hmm. And I think he set the speed record on Mount Watkins easily because, you know, I don't, I don't know that anybody had ever gone and done that when they, you know, free soloing that much of the terrain and that kind of thing. So um, it's almost <laughs> certainly not to imply that he's like cheating by doing that, right, right. but it's not fair to, um, necessarily like, you know, compare that to the five hours that it took him and Tommy to do it, which is like almost equally impressive for like the yep. doubles. Yep. You know, the only thing I'm going to say is like, have you ever seen, right? Like there are some of these, I don't know. I've seen it a couple of times, but where you have these like, um, NASCAR, NASCAR, races or whatever right where like they're trying to put just enough fuel in the cars yes to finish and then sometimes they like just run out of gas like right before yeah. the finish line <laughs> yeah think totally. about that in terms of free soloing right like Ugh. so you're like no dude the speed's not that impressive because he doesn't have to get ropes i'm thinking about the fact that at 2800 feet off the ground if you pump out yep. you're dead Oh yeah, absolutely. And so in just in terms of thinking about how dialed in just another element of you really like, maybe I should have rested five more minutes mm -hmm. before starting this pitch. Yeah. Just another level of like, I mean, that's just something, I mean, I, I've, I've actually not really heard Alex or anybody else talk about that, but thinking about like, when am I ready to start this pitch? Cause literally like you pump out or like you get hung up. I mean, dude, you've been on routes that you've done a bunch of times. And then for some reason that day, you missed a yep. hold or something. And yep. then you're like fidgeting around longer than you should have. And you start to get worked. That yep. happens. You're dead. 
Absolutely. And so, you know, that's, I mean, that's, that's a big part of it, right? Is that, you know, that gets at that whole demonstration of mastery thing. Yeah. And so part of why you can look at Alex Honnold and talk about how he's such a good climber. I mean, if you were to just, let's say you knew nothing about this guy. Right. And you were, you were like, Oh, somebody told you, oh, Hey, this dude just soloed free rider. And, you know, I, I think if you didn't think about it at all, you might be like, Oh, this dude just did a 12 or 12 D or 13 a guy just said 13 a people send 13 a all the time. People yep. on site 13 a, yep. you know, the top sport climbers in the world, like Alex Magos or Adam Andra have each flashed 14 D, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you're saying like, well, yeah, this guy just climbed 13 a. So what, but it's more, the statement isn't like, Oh, I just climbed 13 a. The statement is, I am so comfortable on this terrain that I will not pump out on it because I can rest like for almost the whole way. You know, it's like if you and I were to go do a five, five or five, six or something, you're probably not going to pump out because whenever you find yourself getting tired, you can just like shake out. Right. Mm -hmm. Not so if you're on terrain that's close to your limit, but you know, you obviously have to be so far below your limit in order to free solo that you're like, well, you know, this, I'm not scared free soloing this pitch because, you know, I can just like stop and, and recover and get it back or, mm-hmm. or not get pumped in the first place really is the thing. Like ideally if you're get if you mean, if you're getting pumped without a rope, you're in big, big trouble. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's such a large part of it. And I think, you know, part, the other thing is that there's a big appeal to routes that involve mostly for the part, for the most part, crack climbing, you know, mm-hmm. I guess the crux on this was a face climbing boulder problem and so forth. But, you know, if you are cracks just tend to feel, I think for a lot of climbers, once you've sort of climbed in that style for a while, they tend to feel more secure. Yeah. Um, you know, you're not going to break a hold off. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you're not, uh, bearing down on your fingertips. You know, if you're swimming like in perfect hand crack, most climbers would tell you that they, they feel really comfortable. Like the chances of them falling are, are near zero. Yeah. And, uh, and you get and, better and better, right? You could you just feel that way on all kinds of crack sizes. Right. And sorry, of <clears throat> is it 33 pitches on Freerider? Uh, yeah. Yep. So how many of those are like, like the pitch is basically 100% crack? Uh, that's a really good question. I mean, I have not done Freerider. I would say that most of them are probably at least predominantly crack climbing. I know there's a bunch of slabbing on uh, free blast. Mm-hmm. And then there's the boulder problem, which is face climbing. Um, but I, you know, I don't know actually without having done the route. And I mean, I guess I could pour over the topo, but um, it's, it's hard to say that they'd be a hundred percent. I'd say that almost the entire route is crack climbing. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember you and I both read there. There's this amazing interview that everybody should go read. Uh, yes. Right, like right after Honold, or, or shortly after Honold gets off this, this send, uh, and I believe there he might. Does he mention? Uh, is it? It's free blast. That mm. when when asked like what was the trickiest or toughest section, um, I maybe I may be making this up. Well, I'll have to check. But um, I wondered if I mean in effect like so the answer what was the what was the trickiest section? Sounds like it may have been one of the non-crack pitches, yeah, which would right. make a lot of sense. Yeah, definitely. You know, you with things like um, 
with climbing cracks, you know, you get uh, you get so much more feedback from the rock, if that yeah. makes sense, like sensory feedback, right? Your finger, like if you're climbing a finger crack, right? You're looking at it and you're like, my fingers are all the way in this crack, or they're I have whatever it is kind of locked. You can assess the quality of your hold much more easily, whereas with slab climbing, you you know you you there is some sensitivity transmitted through the soles of your shoes and so forth but you you really are relying on inference from your previous experiences like this will hold because it sort of has in the past or you know I've done a lot of climbing on slab I sort of intuitively know how the movement works and so forth but it's just not quite you know you put your foot on a hold and and you're sort of left to infer you know, maybe, maybe quite confidently, but it's not quite the, the immediacy of, of a crack where you're like, well, my whole fucking hand is in here. So, you know, there's no way it's coming back out. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about locating this free solo of El Cap among like some other climbing feats, like for the sense of like perspective, right? I mean, we're in a culture, something happens and it's like, you know, the greatest thing ever. Right. So, uh, the, the Golden State Warriors are currently the greatest basketball team of all time, which actually right. maybe they are. But um, right, like say. we yeah, call yeah, it a totally. re- it's like a, we call it a recency bias, right? And so right. if it just happened, it's the greatest thing ever. And so I I I think this is an incredibly tempting case mm-hmm. to be like, yeah, this is the greatest thing ever. But so like let's just back up for a second, talk about a couple of couple of relevant um sort of staggering feats, right? Um, And one that, the one I kind of first thought of was, uh, really was Lynn Hill's first ascent of the nose. Yeah, free ascent. Free ascent. Yeah. Sorry. So, no, 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 it's it's cool. Um, That's, I mean, that's probably the example, you know. Hmm. Um, I think that's exactly spot on. You know, she came along and, and looked at this route and the challenge for her and everybody else at that time was believing that that was, um, within the realm of athletic possibility. Like that could be done. Um, meaning climbed with a rope, like sport climbing, sorry yes. for dumbing it down, but effectively people used to think it's, it's probably not even possible to sport climb in effect the nose. So this was, yeah, it yeah, was, it yeah. had previously only been done aid climbing. Right. And so the, the way that a lot of these routes work is, let's say you are, um, you're going to climb the nose, right? And so the nose is, if you're an elite level climber and now you're going to, let's say you want to repeat Lynn Hill's feat of freeing the nose. Okay. There's probably like a dozen or so people who have done this ever, which is impressive. Like that's ridiculously impressive feat on her part. First of all, to come along and do something that nobody else really thought that it was going to do, but it didn't see a repeat until like 10 years later. Right. And it's not because like nobody wanted to climb the nose, you know, Yeah, it was just that impressive. Hmm. And, um, and so let's say you and I are going to go and we're going to try to do that. Well, you know, we're, we're, you know, hard 13, mid 14 granite climbers, that kind of thing. Then if that's the case, almost the entirety of that route is going to feel really easy to you and I, and we're not even going to really have to train for it, right? There's tons of pitches of 5'8", 5'9", 5'11", all that kind of thing. And and that'll just be super cruiser. And so that's really the, the major part of this is that 
not the routes are not sustained in difficulty all the time. Mm-hmm. And so if you really try to attack them, what you do is you break them down into these pitches where you're like, okay, all in the example of the nose, essentially all but two of the pitches, there's the great roof pitch, which is 13 C. And then there's the changing corners, which is the 14 A crux of the route. And so if you have a legitimate chance of free climbing the nose with ropes and all that stuff, then you really only probably need to put serious time into those two pitches, Mm -hmm. you know? And so that kind of mentally frames the route in a very different way, right? Because you're like, well, I just got to figure out these two pitches. One's 13C, one's 14A. You know, that's a reasonable goal. And then if you can unlock those two pitches, then you can just start from the ground and do the whole route. And so um, that's... You know, that's, a, I think, critical in terms of, you know, how do you set yourself up for success on these massive projects, right? You you do a great job breaking it down into small achievable goals. And um, part of the reason why the nose has not been freed more frequently is that working those pitches is extremely difficult because they're 2,500 feet off the ground, right? It's not like you just stroll up to the cliff and practice them. You have to hike up to the top, <laughs> rappel many pitches down to get to the pitch with, you know, work the pitch, blah, blah, blah. blah. It's a huge pain. And so nobody really does it. But that's like, a, it's, I think it's a much different psychological challenge if you're thinking of this as two pitches as opposed to like 30. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, that's, I imagine how Alex Honnold goes through and approaches a route like this, right? He's kind of like, okay, gets this idea in his head. Well, all these pitches, I think I can probably do straight out of the gate. Well, where are the ones that I'm going to have to uh, work to feel super secure on, right? There's the boulder problem. There's this corner. There's that down climb and so forth. Um, and then slowly, each of, you kind of figure out the moves and practice them, and you start to feel secure. And then the problem, quote-unquote problem pitches for you sort of dwindle until you feel like you have the whole route. Mm-hmm. And um, the thing about something like Lynn Hill's climb, it's certainly true that she took that achievement out of the realm of impossible and put it squarely on the front page of newspapers and so forth. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that, I think that that is in any sport, anytime somebody does that, where they run up against that kind of people saying this cannot be done. Mm -hmm. It's super impressive because, you know, in order to get up and say, I'm going to go work this pitch for, the 40th time to try to figure it out and I'm gonna put forth like all this energy you're doing so in the face of people who are saying you're wasting your time because nobody's gonna be able to do this ever yeah right but you have to hear that and say you're wrong and I'm gonna be the first to do it mm-hmm. and that's like that's I think there's really something there that separates elite athletes from uh, most of us and, um, and so certainly, you know, her achievement shares that genius with this free solo. And then, you know, in that same vein, just the first, the very first, first ascents of these routes, you know, half dome and then L cap and stuff like that. When those, that went up, you know, in, in the sixties and so forth, people were like, no, 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 those walls are too big. Um, you're just not going to be able to do this. And so eventually people found a way and they did it. And, you know, obviously that's how these things sort of progress. But, um, but you know, there's, there's something to Lynn Hill's freeing of the nose that is, uh, it's just a little, I, I personally find it easier 
to imagine myself in the state of mind of believing in the possible. Yeah. When you, when what happens, you're basically allowing yourself to go out and try at something at your physical limit as literally as many times as you have to get it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, you're saying for her crossing the finish line meant sending this pitch, doing this route on the 10th try on the 5,000th try, like whatever, right? Like the goal was to get the send. And that's a very different finish line than with free soloing a route that you anticipate being really challenging or pushing a boundary for you in some way because the finish line is like, oh, I can't just try this as many times as I have to. I need to prepare enough that I can guarantee that I will get it on my next attempt. Yep. And and that's re- that's very different. And so, um, you know, that that's the part that I think really elevates this above a lot of other um, climbing achievements you know because you you have to prepare for such a different goal in a way Um, you know if lynn hill's like oh i'm gonna go out and free this or you know some hard sport climber is gonna try you know sport climb is the perfect venue for this discussion because we'll go out and they'll hang the draws on the route and they'll say okay i get four four or five really good burns in or whatever it is today and if i don't get it then i'll try tomorrow and i'll project this route for six years if i have to but if you were to go back to adam andra or chris sharma and say hey you know that 15c you guys put up how long would it take for you guys to get ready to do that route so that you knew you could like you say go and you're not allowed to fall or you die. Right. Yep. Like they would never, they would never leave the ground. Yep. Um, and so, you know, so that's, I think that's sort of where the comparison really starts to break down. Yep. Um, <clears throat> man, I want to, we need to, to use your expression. You love this expression, put a pin in it. Uh, (laughs) I want to get back to that when we start later move and talk about like the future of climbing and like what's next in terms of the big accomplishments, because I think we, we simply need to talk about that. It's going to get relevant again, but one other, because this was a, 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 I'm only doing this one. Um, this is a really, instead of apples to, you know, if, if Lynn Hill's pioneering is a, it, Lynn Hill, what we just talked about with freeing the nose is going to be a bit more apples to apples than this, but I'm actually mm-hmm. interested precisely because of that. Like if we talk about, you know, an apples to oranges comparison of like, you know, this, uh, Tommy Caldwell, um, with the Dawn wall, which is a very high profile celebrated. I love this stuff, right? Like sure. president Obama is like getting in touch to congratulate these yes. climbers. I love that. On the one hand, climbing seems to be like pushed into this corner and in a way is like it seems kind of a lot of the time less visible um, than like high profile um, ski racers or, um, you know, and certainly when we're talking about the world of like, you know, basketball, football, etc. And yet like the Dawn Wall gets sent and the president is offering congratulations like the world comes out. Right uh, and pays attention to climbing. It's just it's interesting to me, and and, and sort of why that is the case. Um, well, I think that's a really good point, um, and I think climbing climbing is a really strange thing for a lot of reasons, <laughs> but that's one of them, right? In the, on the one hand, you're right. Climbers very much exist in you know it, on the shadowy fringes, sort of thing, mm-hmm. and in part because. 
climbers are until I mean, you know, even with this like last five years sort of explosion in climbing, climbing is still, you know, what you would call a fringe sport relative to something like basketball or soccer or whatever. But, you know, I, I guess I should add that I think that part of that is that climbing comes from this uh, very, what's the adjective for this, maybe irreverent past, right? Yeah. You know, there's sort of this like, <clears throat> um, rebel, the whole like lionization of the dirt bag and blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. It's very anti-establishment in a way that a lot of other sports traditionally don't have that cultural thread running True. through them. True. And so it's not like they're entirely victimized by being on the sidelines here. You know, I think a lot of climbers would probably prefer it that way. At the same time, you know, there, you, you do have these cultures where people on the day to day granular, granular level, like don't give a shit about climbing at all. But climbing also has this incredibly visceral pull for obviously climbers, but even for the average person. I mean, what a huge deal was it when Edmund Hillary climbed Mount Everest, right? I mean, that was like a massive historical event. I mean, you know, the talk about the world coming together for those things. Like that's obviously gets done very routinely now, but you know, the Dawn wall certainly is interesting in that you're like, Oh my God, people are caring about rock climbing, but you know, there, there has been this like this uh, tradition of um, using climbing or you know shining a light on climbing as like an inspirational thing, I guess, in broader society. Yeah, you know, we, it definitely climbing is is a good uh, stand-in or metaphor for all kinds of things related to like adventure or you know freedom of spirit and blah 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 blah. However, that stuff is deployed, I guess, in the larger culture, but. Um, yeah, you know, for whatever reason, we have this like weird. I think you're right. We have this culture where we also we at the same moment we like really deeply care, and then we don't care like at all. You yeah. know, <clears throat> um, it's almost like, you know, people obviously cared a profound amount when we landed on the moon. But like, do we give a shit about NASA? Well, you can also look around and make the case that we don't. You know. Yeah. And so it it kind of feels like somewhat dichotomous in that way. Hmm. So. So can you say, I mean, maybe just something, is there, is there anything interesting to be said in terms of the accomplishment of, of freeing the Dawn wall versus what we've just seen here in terms of, you know, cause we're sitting here kind of gushing and I, and sure. I, I, anything interesting to say on that? Or are you like, dude, that one's yeah. just a little too different. Let's move on. No, it's not, it's not a little too different. I think that there is a point to be made there though, that climbing has really reached a stage in its um, uh, evolution where it it is harder and harder to make some of those cross-discipline comparisons because yeah. as the sport has grown and these things have migrated further and further away from each other, it just becomes, you know, you start to see this like um, divergent evolution going on where you're like boulders and trad climbers increasingly have less to talk about you know they're they come from more and more different worlds mm-hmm. and so you know how how do you compare the comparison or i'm sorry the achievement of like setting the world's hardest boulder problem versus something like sending the dawn wall man i mean that's you know certainly you could probably go on and on and break down all the individual um things but you know that's that's really uh that gets hard to do, especially as, um, you know, as you have the conversation with a, with a non-climbing audience. And part of what makes the Dawn wall so hard to send on top of that whole Lynn Hill, believing this is possible type of thing. There's, you know, 
dozens of pitches, right? And you have to remember, well, what do you need for each pitch? What are the moves on that pitch? It's not just like work, you know, you try one pitch endlessly until you can climb it in your sleep sort of thing. I mean, you just can't do that with 3,000 feet of rock climbing. And so, you know, how do you, how do you manage the knowledge that goes into a project like that? And so, um, yeah, and they're, you know, on, then, then they're on the wall sort of, for, they're on the wall for 19 days. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> and it's like I mean, when I go on, when I go on a trip for four days, it's like, crap, I forgot to you know, pack enough oh, clothes or yeah, yeah let alone 19 days hanging off, uh, hanging off the, you know, thousands of feet off the ground. Uh, Freaking portal edge. I know. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, and that's, that's, that's really it. Right. Is, um, I think it, so did you see at all how Adam Andre came to the Valley and repeated the Don wall? I was just, um, yeah, say more. So he, Adam Andre came to the Valley and, you know, sponged all of Tommy Caldwell's beta and, um, basically like did the second ascent of the Don wall in like no time. I mean, it took Tommy Caldwell years to do this route. Right. Yeah. And it took Adam Andre like a week to repeat it. And the difference there is not that Adam Andre is, uh, an infinitely better climber than Tommy Caldwell, who's just like some has been right. punter at this point. You know, he's certainly not the young gun cutting edge climber anymore, but at the same time, the difference is that Adam Andra came to a route that he, a knew could be climbed and he knew what the grade was of the route, knew the, all the grade pitch down. Tommy gave him all the beta, but it's all the whole, it's all of the logistics. You know, this is the gear you need for this pitch. This is where you're going to go. This is, these are all the tricks that it took me seven years to figure out. Mm -hmm. And when you're armed with all of that stuff, particularly the knowledge that it is achievable, then you can just set yourself to throwing yourself at it blindly as hard as you can. Yep. You know, and that's where the person like Adam Andra, who is this sort of like almost genetic abnormality in some ways, you know, he's good at taking, like just holding on to things that other people can't hold on to, right? That's kind of what it boils down to. Yeah. Um, and so his contribution is really just this physical prowess. It's not, um, you know, digesting this massively complex uh, logistical problem. Yeah, yeah. Related to what we've been talking about. Um, so keep this short, but what would you consider to be then the greatest accomplishment in sport climbing? Like at that point, is the answer simply like whatever the new agreed upon hardest grade in the world is? I mean, is that I kinda, just? I kind of do feel that way. Yeah. Um, and you know, I there's probably you're probably getting hate mail like already for me saying that. Yeah. But um, you, you know, and I guess I I do have a little bit of a bias as as kind of like a um, somebody who prefers like trad and alpine climbing a little bit. Yeah. But um. But I, I essentially, I do think that is the case, right? Because, you know, sport climbing came onto the scene relatively late, you know, in America anyway. And the whole, you know, at the time, there's this big pushback because everybody else more traditionally thought that that was like the use of bolts in general. But the whole like project style of climbing was very anathema to the culture at the time. And it was really like pretty roundly rejected. Yeah. And um, eventually became sort of its own discipline and was accepted by the larger community. And, you know, they certainly have history on their side, the sport climbers. But, um, the whole concept, right, is to take away everything that is either logistically complicated or dangerous about climbing and just focus on the movement. You know, how hard can you climb move for move, yep. route for route, one pitch at a time, that kind of thing. I mean, it's it's trying the, the effort. The goal is like try to take the experience and distill it down to the athleticism component. Yep. And so. If you look at it that way, I do think it's fair to say that, yes, the most impressive sport climb is the hardest one out there because yep. 
you know, you have been sort of intentionally built this arena to yep. just be about the athleticism. And I guess you could make the case that like <clears throat> you have to take into account the climber, right? Cause climbs are different for different climbers with things like reach and, you know, and body morphology and like all that kind of thing. Right. Yep. So maybe like this five, two climber climbing this 14, whatever route is impressive, more impressive than like, you know, some other taller climber climb, whatever. Yep. And I guess you could kind of debate about that, but you know, that's, that's nitpicking and it's not fundamentally changing the fact that you're just comparing athleticism to athleticism. Right. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, that, I, I do think that sport climbing is, it, it's much easier to talk about it in that way. Yeah. And so, I mean, are we then, I presume then it's kind of a similar answer. I'm just trying to think of like what in my lifetime, what I've, you know, like, oh my God, you know, this sport climbing feat just happened. Right. And I don't know that it's met. I mean, maybe for precisely. Um, I, I think, I think a lot of climbers, people who follow the climbing scene closely might've felt that way. Uh, when Chris Sharma sent yeah. realization, well, that's like the 2001, one I, or 2000. Yeah, that's the one I had in mind. Um, yeah, but like, you know, real, that, that, because it's, it's really difficult with sport climbing to break a fundamental barrier. Right. People were kind of like, is there going to be a 15A? Will the world get there? Where is it going to be? You know, and then people were kind of clamoring for it and ready for that barrier to be broken. And we were kind of like anxious, like actively waiting for the next person to come along and climb that stuff. And and now, you know, with with the explosion of the sport, it feels like there's just kids coming out, climbing harder and harder stuff every other week. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it's it, it feels almost like at this point the harder and harder sport routes 515B, by this other whatever. I mean, if they feel like sequels to a original like great movie. Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> That's a great analogy. Yeah. Well, well done. Thank you. Thank you. Um, um and yeah. then and then so then in the bouldering world, I mean, obviously I think it's it's we can just say similar, you know, similar to what we've just been everything we've just talked about with respect to sport climbing, it kind of is in mm-hmm. play. But I, I can't think of the 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 you know shot heard round the world, um, yeah. In bouldering, sure. In quite and um, I and I do think I mean I'm sure I'm sorry I'm sure I am forgetting massive accomplishments. But but Sharma's realization is the sport route that to me, that's kind of the one that 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 if we were thinking about it in those terms, like the shot heard round the world, that that feels kind of like, if not the answer yeah, to the question sure. it's well you know we talk about be. like talk about you not really being aware of the bouldering shot heard around the world or whatever yeah to that point um there's a pro finish climber called nale i'm not even going to try to butcher his last name yeah but um you know super super strong boulderer obviously um total crusher sent this long time project of his like last fall in october and he claimed v17 is the grade making it the only v17 in the world after like many years of all the world's strongest climbers you know kind of languishing at v16 and you hadn't heard about that right and that's basically all you need to say about this yep um and so like that is as i would say that that is as big as accomplishments get in the bouldering world Mm mm-hmm um unless you want to talk about like highball bouldering but then you're essentially just kind of like you're not really pushing you're not you're not advancing bouldering at its essence for notoriety. You're sort of just tiptoeing into free soloing. For exactly, notoriety. exactly. You know? And and I mean, you know, spoiler alert. That's where I'm headed with yeah. the question about <laughs> what's next in climbing. Is sure. I think that's what's next in climbing. Is yeah. that 
what we're calling highballing, which is really now just sport climbing without ropes. Right. Absolutely. And that's anyway. So tons of gray area there without a doubt. Yeah. Um, So, so let's, I mean, let's like, let's make that the next, you know, kind of moving on. So to that, that question of like, what in the hell is next in climbing? Like what is the new frontier? That is, that is what it seems like to me is that we're just free soloing really hard sport routes now. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, I, I see your point and I think this is, it gets at something really interesting because if you want to talk about the landmark nature of Alex Honnold's free solo. So the crux of that route, right. We already talked about is the Boulder problem. It's this like V seven short crux two thirds of the way up the route. Right. I mean, highball boulder problems have been sent at a much harder grade than V7 for a long time, right? And the consequence to those problems may not be like guaranteed ultra dramatic death, but it's certainly like many broken bones, high possibility of death. Um, And so uh, to some extent, you would be not you know, totally unfair to say, well, so what free rider, right? You know, a lot of secure crack climbing, V7 highball you know, off you go to the top sort of thing. Um, and you know, that's, that's, that's fair, right? I think that's, uh, that does get at what do we consider to be impressive or, or, or boundary pushing maybe better. Yeah. Um, you know, people have been climbing dangerous high boulder problems out in the buttermilks in California for freaking ever. I mean, you know, there's a V11 called Ambrosia that Kevin Jorgensen put up a while ago that's had a whole bunch of ascents, including Alex Honnold. Um, this female climber named Nina Williams just did a repeat of it. Hmm. Um, it's not exactly fair. I guess the crux is like down low and then there's like, you know, 40 feet of 12C climbing to the top. But you know, you're still talking about 12C climbing possibility of death if you blow it. Yeah. So the the whole route, this what's the name of it? The V11. It's the it's called Ambrosia. It's on Ambrosia. the far side of the what, the famous boulder called the Grandpa Peabody Boulder. So yeah. and the whole the entire height of the problem is is about fifty feet or the the yeah say, okay. I think so. I Dear mean, Lord, I, I don't I don't want to fall fifty feet without a rope. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, you know, at, at some point you have to transport yourself beyond the number of feet you are above the air and say, yeah. well, you know, I, I am going to die if I fall. So yeah. a 50 foot Ambrosia is a 50 foot V11, yeah. um, which is 514. You know, that would, that would translate into a 514 if you bolted that. <laughs> um, and yes, I think the way to mentally break that down is to say, well, the V11 is relatively low on the route. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's 12C to the top, which is more like V4, V5. But even so, right, you are in the you will die zone. Yeah. Um, and that, I think, gets at the heart of our national fascination with Alex Honnold is because that what makes him special is that he's just not quite scared of the things that we are collectively scared of, <laughs> um, which is to say exposure, right? It's not yeah. necessarily like, hard moves above the ground it's hard moves above the ground times exposure sort of thing yeah and um you know that's why these 50 foot v11s have a bunch of repeats and we may may may, may go however long until somebody else you know at least another i'd say the next generation until somebody else does um 
does freerider again, right? Because you know, you, you're climbing 12C, 30 feet off the ground. It's just harder to win the psychological game, rational or otherwise, than if you're like 2,000 feet off the ground. Yeah. Right. I mean, you ask some normal person off the street to stand on a sidewalk, and that's fine. But you ask them to like tiptoe to the edge of a building, and they're like, "Fuck no." Yeah. And that's that's really what it is, right? It's the psychological distinction. Yeah. We go back to that initial text that you sent me, you know, mm-hmm. on Saturday, and you're like, "Mind fully blown." Yeah. And and I think I mean that's precisely why we're talking about this. Like we're searching for like how do we locate and contextualize what just happened? And I think this is such a striking achievement that, you know, so let's let's do that thing and get if if we weren't if we weren't fully apples to apples before in comparison, like now let's yes. go completely like yeah. apples to zebras to <laughs> yeah. guitars. You know, and, right. and just talk about like where would we kind of think about this and locate this in terms of other athletic accomplishments and, and you know, which points to the really big question, um, why isn't this the greatest athletic accomplishment ever? What else has happened in, say, the modern broad sporting era um, or any time where it's like clearly event X would be put ahead of this. Right. And so, you know, I started thinking about that. Um, I mean, in terms of all kinds of other, you know, in terms of, you know, achievements we've seen on a basketball court or on a baseball diamond or on a soccer field or on a, um, you know, in a ski race. And it's funny, like, as I, you know, I had a five hour drive yesterday to be thinking about some of this and, it starts to get hard where it's like, well, obviously, obviously like when the Red Sox came back and beat the Yankees, right. That Patriots winning a Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I mean, what, you know, or maybe we just have incredibly limited imaginations, but what for you, what for you would tend to be up there to rival what just happened? Um, I think that's, I mean, that's such a good question and it's really hard to answer because this is such a, this, the achievement because of the mental dimension to it, mm-hmm. you know, in light of the penalties involved, make it so hard to compare to something that's raw athleticism with no real penalty. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I think if you, the best way to try to approach that comparison is like what else out there not only was like, Oh my God, that was wild. You know, yeah. uh, that backhand or yeah. that shot or whatever, but like, it has to be more than that. Like it has to change people's per like it's, it has to initiate a paradigm shift in people's yeah. minds. You know, even people who are well-versed in the sport, right. Can't just be like outsiders watching and being like, Oh my God, I can't believe they just caught that pass or whatever. Right. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I honestly think that, you know, the mo- probably the most easily standout moment would be Roger Bannister breaking the four minute mile. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, you know, that's like one of those things that's talked about, uh, even still as being one of the greatest athletic achievements of all time. And not because we can't rival it anymore or the record, not one of those like records that still stands kind of thing, but it's like, well, that was so ridiculous for its era, but even more so like answered this question definitively of like, can this, or can this not ever be done? Yeah. And, uh, and that's, that's, I think you, I think if you're going to try to pick a moment to stand up to this free soul, you need to, you need to have that element. 
Yeah, the, uh, that that's impossible. The that's impossible element. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. Or at least at least like yeah, I think I'll probably Alex obviously knew this was possible. I think everybody who's around him who helps him with this and a lot of pro climbers probably have the idea that this is possible or that mm. this will happen at some point or whatever. But it's more like the you have to be able to make the good case that it's not possible yeah. or that maybe maybe not that it isn't possible, but that it won't be done. Yeah. Um, which is probably more apt in in this case, just because it's more reasonable to believe that no one's ever going to try because it's so dangerous yeah. rather than like, you know, I'm sure there's hundreds of people out there who are physically possible, like capable of doing this. Yeah. Um, but it's reasonable to believe that this would go undone because nobody attempted it, um, which is so different than so many other of those sports records that are just never going to fall. Half of them are, you know carved in stone now because the rules of the sport have changed. Like yeah. the sport has changed around the rules. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. I mean, I do like one for me that, and now like, I don't know people listening to this podcast might not care at all, but like whatever outdoor people should like basketball more than they do. So here you go. Uh, I, mean, like, I think everybody should look back like basketball more than they do. Exactly. Um, Stephen Curry shooting a basketball like Steph Curry shoots a basketball at an impossible level. Right. Right. Like, tr like literally in the history of the league, nobody has ever shot a basketball like this. Mm -hmm. And I think this is defied what we thought was possible in terms of accuracy and percentages mm -hmm. and efficiency from, from shooting from so far away. Yeah, I mean, and he's reimagined the sport totally. in term, at a strategic level, right? Like, you you can plan it differently around yeah. that kind of skill. Like, we've had, like, you know, Larry Bird. We go back to the 80s. Larry, when the shot clock was running down and he had to force a shot up, was absolutely capable of hitting a shot as deep as Steph Curry. Right. But Steph Curry, literally in game two of the finals the other night, pulled up from the hash mark. When time was not running down, it was just a play in the middle of a game. Right. That didn't ever used to happen. And if you tried mm -hmm. that, by the way, at like, I mean, my high school coach would have like pulled oh, me out of the game so quickly, yes. you know. And so I think like, I do think that Steph Curry is doing something at an unprecedented slash kind of impossible level. But he, if he misses, he doesn't die. Right. And that's, you know, that's, that's, this I think is important to the conversation because Alex Honnold is not climbing anywhere near his limit when he's doing this. Yeah. Steph Curry is trying to play basketball right at his limit. Yeah. And so part of the reason these comparisons are difficult is because you're comparing the feats of somebody who is, you know, there's on the one hand, all these most sports events that we're familiar with have are just this raw athleticism like man v man kind of thing yeah. and this this is not right he's not particularly trying that hard yeah. um it's impressive that he doesn't tr have to try that hard on this route the impressiveness is that this is so easy for him that you know i don't even know what the right like what the you know mainstream sports analogy would be right but if it's like steph curry just like launching shots from the half court mark with nobody else on the court yeah. you know, and just like hitting them. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is where, and like to, to kind of move through this a little bit quicker, I think sometimes when we are thinking about like, what is the greatest athletic achievement ever? Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes we, when we, I mean, when we think about it in sort of team sport environments, you know, you might think like, well, what about when, 
you know, Kurt Schilling and the Red Sox, you know, came back from what down, was it 3-0 or 3-1 to beat the Yankees? Or frankly, LeBron James last year beating the Warriors when everyone was like, this is, they had the winningest record in the history of the NBA. People were like, this might be the best team to ever play in the NBA. And then LeBron James comes back and beats them. I mean, I think that's like a contender. But, But I do think like, to me, the, and so that starts getting into the realm of like upsets, and and that is yes. that's not relevant here. So I right. think well, you need two to tango to have an upset. You know what exactly. I'm saying? Like exactly. Like the other team has to collapse. Yep. And so like the miracle on ice in hockey, yeah. right? Like U.S. beats Russia, like un, un, unbeatable Russian team. That kind of stuff. I feel like okay, we got to cross all those off because the upset narrative yeah. doesn't work here. Absolutely. But then, so honestly, the thing that I keep wondering about, and Dave, I don't even know. We've never talked about it. Like. Have you watched this Red Bull Rampage mountain no. bike event? No. Dude, I, I honestly kind of think this is about as close as I can get yeah. to thinking yeah. like, go just pull up any YouTube video of Red Bull Rampage and watch mm. for 90 seconds and you'll know what I'm talking about. Okay. But you have dudes riding bikes on effectively unridable terrain in like the mm. desert of Utah. And then each year they just keep upping the ante and like Mm -hmm. adding these 80 foot gap jumps over canyons where like you come up short, it's not guaranteed you're dead, but you're breaking a lot of bones and the chance of like paralysis is like, I mean, again, just watch and then picture Mm -hmm. like riding a bike off the, you know, the ledge. Honestly, I think the, the degree of difficulty coupled with the high, the the consequential nature of that event, yeah, is honestly about the best thing I can find, and which is to say, I guess the people that are sending and winning events like Red Bull Rampage, I'm also tempted to put up in the conversation of like, show me a more impressive athletic achievement. Sure, and and yeah. and and for my own thinking about this and whatever, maybe irrelevant, like. I tend to kind of downplay events like, I mean, all, all, all due respect, but when you talk about Roger Bannister's breaking of the four minute barrier, that was one of those, like, you just made the impossible possible, mm. but it's, it's a kind of one dimensional element. And Very so, and so I think of like, you think of an extreme sport, like deep, um, deep water diving where mm-hmm. the goal is like who can literally get the furthest depth before their lungs explode. Right. Like that's crazy and the stakes are real high, but that I'm still from a novice here. I know that there is a lot of calculation that goes into that um those events, right? That but but it still feels a little bit more one dimensional there. Well, it, it see that's that's that has the like the physical capability to do it component and it's got the high consequence component but it doesn't and yeah i mean similarly you know unwell-versed person here but like it doesn't have the high degree of technical performance involved right like don't the people who free dive like just don't they like launch down a rope with a weight on their feet kind of thing that's see how deep they can go and that kind of thing yeah i mean you're not performing you're not executing these like ultra precise highly technical movements yeah and that's what makes this thing so interesting. And I think actually I just thought of something while you were talking about the mountain bike thing. The interesting thing about free soloing and Alex Honnold as this sort of pinnacle free soloist is that it's not 
uh, you know, you watch these videos of the people talking about it and they are all pretty firmly pushed back against the idea that this is like a high octane adrenalized experience for them. Hmm. Um, you know, because the whole concept is to be profoundly in control and so confident in your control that why would your heart rate go up? Right. Mm-hmm. If you're starting to freak out, then, you know, you, you've done something wrong. You've either chosen the wrong route or you didn't prepare or you're off, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, it doesn't have like with the mountain bike thing, staying on those courses is like snap decision. You know, you're moving and thinking extremely quickly. Um, and this is, this is precision, but much more slowed down. Right. Yeah. Like, uh, I was reading recently, um, this article is from, uh, 2015, but it's, it's sort of relevant. And, um, it's a New York times article where at some point later in the article, they interview, um, Dean Potter, and, you know, obviously like the other obvious free soloist to talk about in this conversation. And prior to his death, I think a lot of people had been wondering, oh, is Dean going to go on free solo free rider someday? Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And just to provide some insight into what separates Alex from like all of the other free soloists, there's a quote in here that I have up and it goes that um, this is Dean Potter talking. He says, Alex is like Spock. I freak out at the top of solos and scream like super emotional. Then I'm wasted emotionally for months. Alex just does it and walks away and does another one. Hmm. And so, you know, even amongst the people who have the ability to command the like victory of the rational mind over the, you know, um, reptilian part of your brain that's freaking out that you're on a cliff. You know, obviously, to some extent, that's mandatory for anybody who wants to free solo anything. But he clearly is of a different stock relative to those people, right? Yeah. And that's like that's the part of it that I don't see in a lot of these other sports, like the mountain biking. You know, you don't you would never like pluck somebody out, freeze time, and pluck somebody out of those mind blowing downhill runs and find them in like a state of zen. You know? Yeah. I mean, they might they they're in the zone, like they're clearly in the zone. But it's not um, like it's a it's much more aggro, dude. When those guys get done riding, they it is just relief. Like yeah, they exactly. all freak out, and all yeah. the other riders come and like congratulate them, and it's it's freaking kind of morbid. It's like yes, their girlfriends exactly. are watching, by the way, and they're bawling. Yes, and and I'm like the guys come down and congratulate, and part of it is because they just did rowdy rad stuff. Yeah. But the other part is like, dude, you're alive and not broken in half and hell yeah. And we know yes. we know what that's like because we're up there scared too. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of pre soloists kind of bristle at the notion that they're considered uh adrenaline seekers. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's sort of I guess a little bit different. Um, you know, not to take anything away from any of those mountain bike achievements at all, right? But it's not it's just doesn't it doesn't have quite the same texture to it. Interesting. Um, but that's and that's what I think maybe to you know kind of bring this all back. That's part of what makes this Alex Honnold thing so. Uh, I mean, we're kind of like moths to a flame with it, right? Because we just can't understand how you could occupy that mental space while you're doing something like this. Mm-hmm. Like you tell me that these mountain bike guys are like all jacked up and doing this stuff and they're in the zone and they're riding these super dangerous rides and so forth and pulling it off. I'm like, yeah, I can totally imagine feeling that way. Right. The, the hardest mental leap from me to them for me to make is imagining myself with like a lot more biking skill. Right. Mm -hmm. But 
you know, I can't necessarily, I can't just imagine myself as a stronger climber and be like, yeah, I can picture that. Mm-hmm. I can't even really sort of turn, fully turn the corner to see what that's like. And that's, and that's by that's the way, the most important part. Yeah. And I mean, you were talking about, you know, I mean, uh, I had seen, you know, Tommy Caldwell who has been a big part of this, right? Um, this, uh, of Alex's prep. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. you just said, I mean, he and, he and Alex the previous <clears throat> week, right? Had, 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 uh, free climbed right. free right. rider. And, you know, Tommy Caldwell in his, I think it was on an Instagram post was just like, I'm just freaking glad this is over. He actually left the Valley so that he wouldn't have to watch it. And that says a lot yeah, for sure. I can also, I can totally appreciate, and this is probably the same with, you know, all these other extreme athletes. It might, you probably get to a point where it's harder to be a spectator than the athlete. Yeah. Um, at least in terms of emotion. Yeah. Um, and so I fully believe that, but, but you uh, were, you were saying too, right. That, uh, Tommy's climbing partner on the Don wall. Tell you said before. Oh, we started, yeah, yeah. Like, Kevin, what was that? Kevin Jorgensen. Yeah. Kevin Jorgensen commented on Jimmy Chin's photo of Alex climbing the enduro corner pitches, which is a two pitch stretch high up on the route. That just looks oh, horrifically hard and so exposed. And, um, he, he commented that the photo, looking at the photo was making him nauseous. Yeah. And, uh, and this is somebody who sent the Don wall. Right. Sent the dawn wall. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> slept, slept yeah. up on the wall for yes. 19 days. Totally. This is and, not your grandmother commenting, being like, oh my God. Yeah. No. Yeah. One of the, I mean, just you have to say it, one of the most accomplished big yes. wall climbers. Actually, to he, not accomplished, like certainly wall climber, but he's actually the guy who has the FA of that boulder problem, Ambrosia, right? Huh. So obviously not <laughs> a, you know, stranger to like dangerous climate. Right. You know, like the guy clearly gets free solo climbing. I mean, he put yeah. up that V11 boulder problem. Yeah. And has done tons of run out climbing on boulders all over the place. Yeah. And even he looks at this and is like, that is disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, we'll, we'll wrap up here, but I, I, um, I mean, I, I think, I think Alex is just such an interesting person. Um, far beyond. I mean, that dude could stop climbing tomorrow entirely. And I still think that's a really interesting person. And, you know, and I, and I do want to be careful, like before we make the move, I mean, Dean Potter's quote, I think is super interesting. Like that dude's just Spock. Like, I feel like there is some, I mean, this is one of those questions, one of those questions, right? Like when we see kind of the impossible get done, when we just simply say, well, that person is other, that mm-hmm. that's just like, that's alien. And I, right. I, I think that's an interesting thing to do. And I actually want to be cautious before we do that, because in a way then that just writes off. I mean, if, if it's like, yeah, he's missing a chromosome. So right. he actually can't tell the difference when he's a thousand feet off the ground versus zero feet off the ground in a right. way, then it, it, in a way it sort of almost diminishes the accomplishment Sure. I think what Alex has talked about is he has just trained himself and he has spoken incredibly eloquently about this. Well, yes. I mean, that's another thing I find remarkable about Alex. Like that dude talks as eloquently and, cons- and, and succinctly about some of these accomplishments in ways that most modern athletes are terrible at. 
I know, totally. I mean, this would be such a bummer if he just gave like terrible interviews yeah. and had like no thought into it. Where he's like, I don't know, man. Yeah. I just was kind of feeling it today. And like, I was like, you know, thinking about my homies and I was just like, stoked, yeah. bro. Go like, out there and like score a bunch of points and execute on the plays we practiced. And, yeah. And I mean, it probably yeah. goes hand in hand. Like, he is so analytical and, and yeah. clear in his answers. And I'll say it again. We'll, we'll post the link to this interview that he gives um, shortly after. Uh, sending free rider and just look at look at what I'm talking about here and look at from any past interview he's given when he's been you know asked these questions about fear and overcoming it and what he's thinking about I, I, I think it's 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 a pretty it's another remarkable thing about this guy that he's not only pulling off these incredible athletic achievements but then turning around and talking about them as eloquently as maybe any athlete ever really has yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I think there's, um, it's such an interesting conversation, I think with these things where you, people, I think most climbers will have some kind of concept or can at least walk them towards, walk themselves towards the idea of free soloing, uh, by way of analogy where, you know, I think that, um, climbing is not, it's, it's, it's easy to explain climbing to non-climbers um, using driving a car as an analogy, yeah. where driving a car is profoundly dangerous, and you can make a irrecoverable fatal mistake in less than a second, yeah. going 70 miles an hour, which would kill you and several other people. No problem. That's very easy to do. And we do that stuff every single day, right? And the reason that your fear level is not commensurate with that level of danger is because you're sort of in control. I mean, driving is not that hard and you're like, well, I'm just not going to do that. You know, like, I'm just not going to drive off the road. And, and that's how free soloists think about free soloing, right? Yep. And that, you know, it becomes this awkward conversation where two people are, you know, there's Alex Honnold on one side and then an interviewer, non-climber on the other. And they're kind of talking past each other yep. a little bit where the climbers, <laughs> the interviewer is like, well, you know, aren't you scared that you're going to fall? And he's like, well, no, because I'm not going to fall. Right. right. And it's like end of conversation, right? There's nothing else really to be said there. And then, you know, I think you're, you either can get past that mentality or not, you know, it's, it, that's just a matter of like which part of your brain is is driving you know are you is it this utter domination of the rational over you know the the rest of your brain where you're like well it would be horrible if i slipped here but since there's a zero percent chance of me slipping i there's no sense in being afraid of it you know yeah in the same way that like if you ask any other person like hey are you just gripped and sweating and white knuckling it like every time you drive your car like of course not you know, and you know, it's like, it's like this with these people, you know, would you drive your car 140 miles an hour? Of course not. No, because yeah. you could lose control. And it's the same thing with like, would you free solo close to your limit? No, yeah. you know, but you know, you drive it in conditions that you understand and you know, on, in ways that you feel like you have it, but the danger is there, you yeah. know, in the same way that these people are asking Alex, like, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but the, right. The only counter though, and then we'll, we'll wrap, but the only counter here is that if you, you know, pulled a hundred of us, I mean, going back to the driving analogy, if you, if you pulled a hundred of us who, you know, drive a decent amount are, you know, why aren't you terrified driving down a highway for five hours going 80 miles an hour? It's like, well, I don't know. I do it a lot, you know, feel real comfortable in that environment. The only thing is what you already talked about is that elite climbers, elite climbers yes. are weighing in and looking at this and going like, oh, hell no. 
Totally. And I mean, that's what makes this such an enormous accomplishment. It's more like, um, so I don't even know. I don't know what I'm saying. Like it it puts it on a spectrum, right? It becomes, when you think about it that way, it's a matter of degree. Yeah. So it's almost, I mean, in some, I don't know what the analogy is because I like the driving one, but it's like, would it be like, okay, yeah, I'm pretty comfortable. I just did it yesterday. Drove 80 miles an hour for five hours on a highway Mm -hmm. next to big trucks. Mm -hmm. I didn't do it with my eyes closed. Right. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I think it's, it's not that like any people can aspire to that sort of accomplishment. It's just that I think that people make them like make a mistake when they see things like this and they think like they don't, they can't even understand how the calculation might look in Alex's mind. Like I would never do something like that. And I would push back and say, you actually do that all the time. All the time, yeah. It's just that you are comfortable in these other environments and you choose to have a much larger buffer of safety and all that stuff. But the calculation itself is very familiar. Yeah. 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 Well, man, um, cool. I feel like we should wrap, but uh, okay. I, I, you know, I just think this is one of those accomplishments that deserves, you know, some people stammering around as best they can to try <laughs> to... Yes. To tr- you know, like that's yes. the, in a way this feels like the, this is the part of, this is the respect part. It is such a compelling accomplishment that the very, very least we can do is sit there and try to think through it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> and there's a whole lot to, un- there's a lot of uncomfortable stuff to unpack here that we could probably save for another conversation. Yeah. Like, how do you feel if you're his sponsors? Or how yeah. do you feel as a consumer of the inevitable movie that's going to come out of this? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, do you feel comfortable being contributing to that culture? Um, and additionally, like how different would this conversation have been had he blown it? Right. Yeah. Cause that's sort of what happened to Uli Steck pretty recently. Yeah. Right. Like he kind of came out on the wrong side of, um, of something similar. And again, you know, not to try to get into the apples and oranges of their climbings styles, but yeah, you know, you're, you're in, you're in a situation unprotected that you seem like you have control over and that you think you have control over, but you don't. And then, well, you know, one person's like a generation defining hero and the other's like kind of an idiot and was a little careless. It's like, yeah. well, that's a little bit harsh. Yeah. You know, you're, I feel like because there's a slight luck factor that pushes you from one side of that line to the other, it's like you're either one of the greatest people in the world or you're an asshole, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's, it's, there's a, this is a very easy way to shine a pretty uncomfortable light on like back on us a little bit. Yeah. It's a, a good point. It's yeah. a good point. Anyway, well, we could say, we could save that for another talk. <laughs> well, Dave, I, I don't know why it took so long. Uh, you and I have been friends, uh, for a very, very long time and, um, it's so fun. Uh, it's always fun talk. I mean, it's fun. We have a great time talking about. I think everything. Uh, totally, <laughs> uh, including the brothers Karamazov, which yeah, which we, made it into this podcast. I, we'll see if I end up keeping it in or not. I was but, just uh, gonna say, I actually I should have asked you this when we got started, but I was under the assumption that all that could get cut pretty easily. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how it plays. But um, uh, this was fun, and we we'll, we will um we will definitely get you back on talking about uh more climbing, uh, cool. things, but, uh, this was a, sure was a hell of an excuse to, to have this conversation. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity. It was awesome to, uh, debut myself on this podcast. <laughs> well, cool, man. Um, well, great. We'll have fun. Uh, I'm going to probably be seeing you, uh, like in a 
couple days, which we'll uh, get off the air and I'll, I'll tell you about that uh, in a minute. Okay. But um, cool. yeah, well, man. just bring my bring my check for the appearance in person. <laughs> okay. And I got to pick up my shoes that I left at your place last time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, hey, man, cool. cool. And um, I'll talk to you real soon. All right. Sounds good, dude. I'll see you later. All right. Bye-bye. That's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. Thanks to Dave Alley for the conversation and to Alex Honnold for blowing our minds and expanding the limits of what is possible. And thanks also to our strikingly handsome audio engineer, Justin Bob, who I'd like to wish a very, very happy birthday to. I've got a birthday present for you, J-Bob, and I look forward to celebrating with you later today. We've already got another really great podcast episode in the bag that I'm really excited about, so stay tuned for that. And till that time... Check us out at blisterreview.com to see what we're up to on the site. Talk to you soon.